Hello, Uni Church. Uh, our reading today is taken from Micah 41254. It's also in your new sheets. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and the people will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away from a those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. As for you, watch Tower of the Flock, stronghold of the daughter Zion. The former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. Why do you now cry aloud, have you no king? Has your ruler perished? That pain seizes you like that of a woman in labor. Writhe in agony, daughter Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you must leave the city and camp in the open field. You will go to Babylon, there you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you out of the hand of your enemies. But now many nations are gathered against you. They say, let her be defiled. Let our eyes gloat over Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan that he has gathered them like sheaths to the threshing floor. Rise and thresh, daughter Zion, for I will give you horns of iron. I will give you hooves of bronze, and you will break to pieces many nations. You will devout their ill-gotten gains to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of all the earth. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small amongst the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Hey everyone, uh, make sure you've got your outline there with the passage in front of you. As you notice there, there's kind of lots of images in there. One of the sort of prominent images is of labour and childbirth, so I thought we'd run with this theme as I started my sermon. Uh, birth, it's a wonderful miracle, right? 
childbirth, you probably can't remember yours, which is probably a good thing. But it can also be difficult, also can be hard. Our labour was quite difficult with my first daughter, uh, but my wife Liz, she got through it and there is a picture of our eldest, Josie, who's 14 years old now. Uh, Liz got through it. I don't say we got through it because really, Liz did all the work. And she did it again. Next picture. And she did it again. Next picture. Three times. Why would you do it three times? Once you know what's involved, why would you keep going back? It's because of that, right? That little precious child, that baby that you know is waiting on the other side. Uh, Put your hand up if you've finished exams. Put your hand up if you're still going. Why do we keep doing this to ourselves (laughs) year after year? It's so you can be the ones who are finished, right? You can get to the end. You know, something good is waiting on the other side. Uh, Imagine an exam period that went forever. That's a special kind of nightmare, right? When you're in a difficult patch at work, what gets you through, right? The hope that it's going to finish or there'll be a good outcome. Hope is a powerful thing. It, it, it helps us endure. It has the power to help us endure all kinds of hardships. Now, there's hope in general, but there's also a distinctly Christian hope. It's a, it's a straining forward eyes, scanning the horizon type hope, and it's anchored in God's promise of resurrection an eternal future in the new creation. And that kind of eye-straining forward, eye-scanning the horizon hope is what has sustained Christians throughout all the ages, through all kinds of fiery trials. It's, it's enabled for them to, do, uh, to love their neighbour, to, to love their enemies and, and stay faithful in all sorts of circumstances. And that straining forward hope is the hope that God gives his people and the hope that he gives us. Uh, tonight. Well, when Micah prophesied, and you have heard a bit about uh, the kind of context into which Micah spoke over the last couple of weeks, uh, when he prophesied, Judah's back was against the wall. Uh, Their idolatry, their greed, their rampant injustice meant that God's judgment was coming upon them, and he had chosen to bring it through Assyria and through Babylon. We heard all about that bleak story last week as we looked at chapter 3. Well, that's that's the situation in Judah now, right? Now, as Micah writes, verse 10, Rise in agony, daughter Zion, for now you must leave the city to camp in the open field. Verse 11, But now many nations are gathered against you. Or 5, verse 1, Marshal your troops, now city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. That's the situation now. Well, the Bible tells us, and, and history, the recorded history also tells us that Assyria did destroy the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC. But not Judah, right? Not the southern kingdom. By God's mercy, they were delivered from the hand of Assyria. But they didn't learn their lesson. They kept on sinning, and so their destruction became inevitable. And so soon Judah would be invaded and then taken into exile. Their inhabitants ripped out 
and taken to Babylon. For, uh, uh, chapter 4, verse 10. You will go to Babylon. Jerusalem will be destroyed. You will be scattered among the nations. That's God's judgment. And so really, Micah's uh, message to Judah is this. Your world is about to end. There's nothing you can do about it. And it's your fault. Bring back the prophet who promised wine and beer, I say. We want to hear that guy. Well, that's the now. But the now isn't the end. Uh, Micah's message, as we've heard, uh, particularly in the first sermon from Nat, uh, his message comes in three cycles. Uh, like the first part is a condemnation of Judah's disobedience. The second part is uh, that warning of impending disruption. And the third part is, a, is God's promise of deliverance on the other side. We're in the second cycle of, uh, second cycle, sorry, of uh, Micah's prophecy. And these chapters really are the counterpoint to chapter 3, uh, the judgment oracle back there. God's, uh, and these chapters really are God's promise of deliverance. And it is this hope of God's deliverance that will give uh, God's people the power to endure what's about to happen, the exile. So we're going to have a start by looking at these promises more closely. Uh, Notice that this deliverance isn't now. It's not now. It's in the future. Uh, It's in the last days. uh, Chapter 4, verse 1. Have a look with me. Uh, In the last days... Uh, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Uh, this future is going to be like a stunning reversal. We heard last week in uh, chapter 3 verse 12 uh, that Zion is going to be ploughed. That's the hill that Jerusalem was built on. Zion is going to be ploughed like a field. Uh, Jerusalem and the temple, that's going to be a heap of rubble. But then, then in the last days in the future, there'll be a new temple and Jerusalem will be lifted high and rebuilt. I don't know if you heard the story in the uh, press the last couple of weeks. It's a picture of a bar-tailed Godwit. I'm sure you already knew that, but that was news to me. Uh, It's a five-month-old bar-tailed Godwit. It flew 13,560 kilometres in 11 days without stopping. It left Alaska on October 13 and landed in northeast Tasmania on October 24. Didn't have to refuel once. That's another cool nature story. But what has it got to do with what's in front of us? Uh, That story reminded me really of God's fierce love. A Jew to sin is great, but his love, his grace, That's so much greater. It's relentless. It's unstoppable. It keeps going and going and going, even past northeast Tasmania. Uh, A theologian uh, from Germany uh, a few hundred years ago, he he said, uh, God's judgment is his alien work. God's judgment is his alien work. Uh, What he means is that God doesn't delight in judgment. He judges because he is just and he is true and he is fair, but what he actually delights in is mercy and grace and blessing. And that's what he's going to do. 
have mercy, have grace. He's going to bless no matter what. And God's love and mercy in the last days, it's not going to stop at Jerusalem. In the last days, verse 2, it's going to flood into the nations. They will stream back to him in worship and enjoy the goodness of his reign. And then verse 3, he will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. Our judgment can mean different things in the scriptures. It can mean like a verdict of condemnation, which we heard about last week. But it can also mean kind of putting things right. It can mean justice and equity and healing and, and restoration. And that's what God's judgment means here. In the last days, Micah is saying, God's got to put the world back together. He's going to make things right. And so God's judgment here, when he judges between nations, that's, that's good news. That's the best news. It means, verse 3, global peace. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. God's rule in the last days mean that um, tanks, they're going to be turned into tractors. Uh, Mines and missiles are going to be turned into mattocks. That's like a gardening instrument. I just needed to preserve the kind of alliteration there. Wouldn't this be an awesome promise if you were in the midst of war? If you were in the Ukraine and your life was a misery, how cool would these words be? This future world peace won't um, happen because of humanity. Though It's not as if we're going to kind of turn our backs in disgust on war and bloodshed and violence and, and greed. This peace is only going to happen through God's intervention by his power. Micah says he will judge in the last days God himself. He's going to intervene to bring peace, complete peace, real peace. And verse 4 describes what that's going to look like. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree and no one will make them afraid for the Lord Almighty has spoken. God has spoken. He said it so it's going to happen. It's sitting uh, in the shade by the pool in the backyard, cool drinking hand in hand without a care in the world, except this time it's not your parents' backyard, it's your backyard. This image of the, vine, uh, the, the fig tree and the vine, it's used in 1 Kings 4. And uh, 1 Kings 4, it's, 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 that describes the height of King Solomon's reign. The abundant blessings that Israel had. And so this really is a picture of rest, of comfort, of security of plenty, of complete freedom. These are such precious promises for God's people. They're worth to lock up in their hearts as they face invasion and exile. Verse 6, In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. There's a glorious future for the Lord's people beyond exile and judgment. 
Those who are crushed but are still clinging to God's promises in Babylon. My remnant, he calls them in verse 7. To them he says, I will bring you home. I will make you a strong nation. I will be with you and then you will be saved, not for just a day or a season or a decade, but forever. Forever. And so that's where the hope of God's people is anchored, in the future, waiting on the other side of exile. That's a key phrase, that, on the other side, waiting on the other side of exile. It's, it's really important that God's people understand that, that these beautiful promises in the last days are not to be fulfilled now, but in the then, in the future, the other side of judgment. It's so important because for them, uh, for them to know that this, because when they're in Babylon, it's going to feel like sometimes that God has completely abandoned them. There'll be times that their suffering is so acute and so painful, it'll feel like God has turned his face away forever, that he's completely left the room. And in those times, they're going to need to cling to these promises. That's why the prophet Jeremiah said this to God's people in exile in the book of Lamentations from chapter 3, verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I, will, I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed for his compassions they never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. I'll wait for him and his salvation. Uh, Brothers and sisters, we need to hear that as well. We need to hear that as well. Because what is true for them is true for us us as well. Because Jesus hasn't come back yet. We're not facing the same catastrophe as they were. But we are, in a sense, as the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter, we're kind of exiles as well. We're not home yet. We're going to get some of God's blessings now. We're going to experience some of his blessings now. Others we're kind of going to get a glimpse of, just a a small taste of. But others, well, they're still yet to come yet to come and it's important that we understand what God promises now and what he promises then because if we kind of expect or demand something from God that he doesn't promise now what what might happen well we might get bitter we might start to doubt God start to doubt his goodness and his faithfulness Well, Micah says Israel's hope lies in the future, but it also lies in the Messiah 
chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth. Our Messiah is the Hebrew word for king. And here Micah prophesied the birth of the Messiah, a child who will become the ruler, the king of Israel. And he's going to be born in the town of Bethlehem. It's a small town. Uh, in ancient terms, it's a bit of a backwater, really. But it's famous because that's where King David was born. And that's significant because he's the king to whom God promised this. I will establish your house and your kingdom forever. And this child's going to be from his line, except he won't be like the other corrupt kings from David's line. He won't be like the, the leaders and the prophets we heard about last week. Now he's going to reign in God's justice and his peace. And he won't just be a ruler for Israel either. His rule, his perfect rule will extend to the ends of the earth. That's the promise of God. A new future through a new Messiah. And that's where Judah needs to place their ultimate hope for their welfare and their security in God's promises. Uh, Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist and he wrote about suffering and hope in his book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, among other things, he based the book on his experiences uh, in the World War II Auschwitz death camps, which he lived through. Or a lot of stuff, as you can imagine. And this is one of the things he says in his book. He says, What is to give light must endure burning. I reckon what he means is the thing that we cling to, the thing that bears our ultimate hope, it needs to be able to endure suffering, whatever it is and however it comes. And nothing in the world can bear that weight, the weight of our ultimate hope. And Judah learnt that the hard way, didn't they? Well, they put their hope, where did they put their hope? In military strength, in political alliances, in material wealth, in other gods. And what good did it do them? Nothing. One by one, all of them stripped away as they went into exile. Or what do we put our hope in, in our society? What do you put your hope in? Is it in education or progress, a kind of scientific or humanistic solution to every problem? We can fix it somehow. We put our hope in ongoing geopolitical peace, right? Until, of course, there's a war that freaks us all out. We put our hope in continual economic stability and prosperity and then interest rates go up and the share market goes down and suddenly our our bank balances go down. Can we put our hope there? 
Do we put it in our own intellectual ability, our ability to get a job, achieve our reputation? Well, we do. But none of these can actually bear the weight of our ultimate hope. There's only one place where our hope is completely secure and that's the promises of God in what he's doing in the future through the Messiah. Well, God did send Judah into exile in 586 BC. We read it in the Bible and again we know it from history. And praise God, he did bring them back in 538 BC. And that return, was that the fulfilment of God's promises here? Was all these, were all these promises, were they fulfilled in the return of Israel from exile? Yes, but also no. You see, the promises we read in Micah, they were much greater than anything that was ever realised in historical Israel. You see, when the exiles returned back, uh, there was no kind of worldwide glory that Micah promised here for Jerusalem. There was, uh, the nations were never kind of streaming in. Uh, Judah, when they came back, was still ruled by foreigners. And at the time of the New Testament, they were ruled by the Romans. And there was no promised king. So no, they weren't really fulfilled in the return. And so really, as the New Testament opens, Israel is back in the land, but really they're still in spiritual exile. They're waiting for God's salvation. They were waiting for the birth of Jesus. From Micah 5 verse 3, Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour bears a son. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. It's not Micah 5, it's not Micah 5, it's a quote in Matthew 2. Micah's promises are fulfilled in the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's cool to read about Jesus in the Gospels. And when you read about them, you see him gathering in the lame, the poor in spirit, those who are mourning, who are grieving. It's the Beatitudes. Blessed are those. He bound up their wounds. He healed their hurts. He forgave their sins because he was the Messiah. And that's what he'd come to do. He announced the arrival of God's kingdom in word and in deed. In his ministry, he proclaimed, the exile is finished. God's tender mercy, his salvation has come in me. And then he went to the cross where he bore God's judgment on sin for Israel, but not just for Israel, but for the whole world. By his blood, he bore our forgiveness. And then he was raised to life and in his resurrection, he, he began that time that Micah prophesied, the last days, the beginning of the new creation. Now, Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit at Pentecost. You read about it in Acts 2. And from then on, he began to gather the nations to him. These promises of Micah were fulfilled in Jesus. I don't know if you've 
read The Lord of the Rings or watched the movies? If you haven't, you should. And even if you just watched the movies, you should read the book. Anyway, at the end of the book, uh, when the ring has been destroyed and the great evil has been defeated, Sam turns to Gandalf the wizard and says, is everything sad going to come untrue? Yes. Yes, it is. The promise, that's the promise of Micah fulfilled in Christ. Everything sad is going to come untrue. And when Jesus returns, that new creation will be fully revealed in all its glory. God's name will be lifted high. The nations will be blessed by God and his reign. Everyone will live under their own vine and fig tree. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Christ's rule will be perfect peace and everyone will be safe in his perfect love forever. That's where our ultimate hope is. Uh, Sometimes God's word demands action. Last week, that's what it did. Embrace justice, right? Uh, Other times God's word is a promise for us to believe. And that's what it is for us tonight, a promise to believe. God has blessed us so richly in Jesus. Uh, Some of that blessing, as I said, we get to experience now. The Bible says sin puts us in spiritual exile. Uh, Ephesians 2.12 puts it like this. Sin means we are without hope and without God in the world. But because of Jesus, his death on the cross, we're forgiven. We're reconciled to God. We're his children forever. Verse 13, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's a promise for now. Maybe you're here today and this describes you in spiritual exile. If that's you, please come. Please come and receive Jesus' forgiveness. Speak to me if you would like to hear more about that or to Larissa or to Sam or or to someone who brought you this evening. There are lots of other blessings for now, but, but some blessings we just get a taste of. They're just like a glimpse, like the sun peeking over the horizon. It's a foretaste of what's to come later. Uh, there was a German guy uh, who knew a lot about the Bible, Helmut Thielicker, his name was. Uh, he was visiting his mate, who was a wealthy German uh, businessman uh, in Stuttgart during World War II. And because of the Allied bombing, his house really was almost a pile of rubble. Uh, however, uh, it was a bit of a miracle really, but one tiny corner of the kitchen was untouched. And there, um, uh, Helmut's mate had set up a table, lovely white tablecloth, a fine china, and there was this uh, vase with a single red rose in it that was flourishing. That's the kingdom of God now. A glimpse of the new creation, a taste of what God's going to do in the future in the ruins of the present age. And so now we get to see glimpses of God's healing and his justice. Now we get to be agents of it as God's people in the world. But we're not home yet. We're not there yet. And so some of God's promises, therefore, the future. They'll come when Jesus returns and we're all 
given our resurrection bodies and raised to eternal life. On that day, all the nations will kneel before God in worship. On that day, all injustice and violence, that's going to end. All sin will be gone forever. On that day, the Lord will bind every wound and heal every heart. He'll wipe away the tear from every face and death will be swallowed up forever. There might be some people here tonight who are, who are suffering, who are going through a really hard time for whatever reason. And if that's you, I, I hope these promises are a comfort to you. For some, the fact that we have to kind of wait till then, well, that can be hard to hear, that we've got to wait till then. One time in my life, I was going through quite a difficult time and my friend, my good friend Mark, she sent me a card uh, and her husband had recently died from cancer and this is what she wrote in the card. Let me encourage you both to allow your friends and and family to support you in any way that they can. Hang on to every promise in the Bible and stick them up everywhere to remind you. And so that's what I did. Promises like this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Promises like this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. And promises like this, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his paper and people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. As we wait on God together, as we live for him in this world, let's support each other and let's encourage each other and let's pray that we can cling on to these promises of powerful hope. Let me pray that God will help us do that. Our loving Father God, we thank you for these precious promises that you give us to sustain us till we wait for you to come back. Father, help us experience and see the blessings you have for us now. Help us hold on to the promise of resurrection of the new creation, when you will make all things new. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.